This is your host, Dr. Mensima Shabazz. Hello, everyone, and good afternoon. I'm so happy and excited to have Ms. Julianne Ryan with me as my guest. Jules, may I call you Jules? Uh, of course you can. To, welcome to my roundtable. And, and it's a pleasure to be here, and I'm so delighted to be included in, in your community. I've been so happy to meet you first this year and then learn more and more about your work. And I want to say thank you for styling your office so it complements my background screen in well, my book. My... I think I know, and your head is beautiful. My head <laughs> And we totally. didn't know this, right? So <laughs> no. <there> we are. <laughs> That's true synergies of spirit. So exactly, for, those, you know. for those who don't see us, there's lovely lime greens and turquoise. It's very uplifting. All the colors we're craving now that we're uh, emerging out of our cocoons. Right, so, right. Thank you. I like when things like this happen because it just shows how in sync things are mm-hmm. world and in divine basements. Yes. So, so welcome once again. One Thank of you. the things you mentioned was that you and I met last year. Was it last year? Somewhere in the middle of last year. 2020, I believe. Yep. Right. Through a mutual friend. <laughs> yes. Yes. And just giving a shout out to our team mm-hmm. who connected us. And yeah. you are the chair of the National Storytelling. Oh, you gave you promoted me there for a second, but yeah, I'm the chair of our group. We do we have a small group within the National Storytelling Network that is called Stories and Organizations. So it's a group of applied storytellers that come together to share best practices and how we can use story or personal narratives in many aspects of our work. And it ranges from people that use it for business communications, the traditional advertising. Two people are using it to build teams together in leadership. So it varies. And we're very inclusive. We invite everybody in. To listen That's to nice. One thank you. I noticed as we talk about storytelling is mm-hmm. that one, my group, Men's Men's Roundtable, is supposed to really encourage women in telling their stories, right? Mm-hmm. Because it is in telling stories that we empower each other. So mm-hmm. as we connected Within the same framework, I thought, wow, this is powerful in in Mm -hmm. itself because we can both use storytelling as a tool to connect many Mm -hmm. other uh, women. And so what is your takeaway from last year's challenges, especially as we experienced COVID being isolated in homes, et cetera? Many things, but two things that come to light is a great appreciation for what I had and have in a community. I'm good fortune. I had, I am married for years. So I had wonderful person to spend time with as he was navigating his world of work with teaching and students, et cetera. But the fact that I had laid the groundwork for a very large community of people that I've known over the years that stem from my childhood forward and school and work. And it kept growing during COVID, using this opportunity of coming forward on screens and meeting variety of people in in many different ways from all over the world and creating not just a contact, not just the name and here's your title and what you do, but friendships, you and I, a team, so many people, and then seeing who you and I share in common, having never met each other. It's just incredible. And traveling in these little rectangles from 
Berlin with talking with somebody on a podcast to people joining other meetings I organized that were from all over the planet, from Russia to South Africa to Australia. So that was a real gift. The second gift was because we couldn't go out in person and a lot of my work was built on being in person, in live, in rooms, in actual physical rooms, I had to get comfortable with the fact that when I present, I have to show up in these screens and then also post more. So build my voice in different ways, the written format, as well as the spoken word and figure it out. We were joking before when we were just getting started, there's always something tech that we have to figure out and just... (laughs) Bingo, there's no green room behind the scenes to say, okay, we're going to have some little tech person running around and helping us. Sometimes you just to go on the flow and just show up. We're going to fix it. We'll get it done. It's not the most important thing in the world. It's only technology. And it always works, right? Because without that, you and I could not connect. The time we were all kind of, everything shut down. I used to have a women's group and we met face to face and I did our circle and meditations and discussions. And with COVID, we couldn't do that again. So yeah, I am shifting it online and trying to find ways to connect with people and mm-hmm. really still have the conversations that mm-hmm. we have, right? Yeah, it's all um, possible. And I noticed it from your Facebook posts and also relationships, et cetera. You're having a lot of fun out there. I, I admire you a lot. I know um, one key thing that I think is very important, and you mentioned that in talking about all the different people we connect with worldwide, right? Mm-hmm. I noticed that you go to all these different events, and it's as, as diverse in people as it is in content, right? You have so many things. It's about music. It's about dance. It's about people from all races. And I really, really love that about you. Why is that your approach to really having this? It's always something I had from the time I was a child. In my, I always was curious about other people from all over the, the world and wanted to know more. Even the little books I read as a kid, I was always reading everybody else's fairy tales or, or folk tales in the library and all the parables. And I don't know, I just loved it. And then I had the good fortune of Queens, where I grew up in metro area in New York City, is and has been a fairly diverse community. So I grew up in a street where not everybody spoke English as their native language. They, they were from someplace else. In the early days, it was more German and Italian and Hungarian and Indian. And then it migrated into other areas. And I grew up with students from other places in the school and my mother's first generation American and we're not, my family is not here that long. So I think I always wanted to explore what it was like from other places and always just curious and have fun. And then my husband is from Ireland, but he coaches track and field just to give you more background. And he's coached people from all over the world. And I think this was a big, important competency for me when I was, I hate to use that HR word, but when I was dating that I wanted to have somebody that wanted to embrace the planet and look at people from all nations and be curious and be inquisitive and want to travel physically or else in their relationships too. Well, I, I like that a lot because I do the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. I enjoy different people, different cuisines, different religions and practices. And I like us to connect 
because I think, you know, the, the divine gave us all these things so that we can explore and really expand our experiences on this planet versus staying uh, in one lane almost, right? I used an expression this year. I have to see if anybody used it before me. And if not, I'm claiming it. I gave a talk at a conference quite recently, still in my little box. And I used expression story tourism. And I was speaking to a group in Missouri, a whole state of people who are looking to help revitalize their communities. And it's called Main Street America. And this was the Missouri branch. And a lot of those folks are in rural communities. And I was trying to figure out how to visit with them and have me present myself. And I talked about when we visit someplace we're not familiar with it, we see ourselves differently. We observe things and listen differently. And it helps educate ourselves. And also the person from that place is the richer for. I know what I'm like when I have to explain things when somebody comes to New York or visits, which I take for granted. So I think story tourism is a good expression for what we do when we're meeting each other. And we peel back another layer of understanding and contact is the word I always use right. about what informed that person experience. Like you have a very rich and diverse background of where you've lived and how you arrived to your present location. Right. And I think the, I am always curious about the context. What got you here and what informed the way you look at things and think? And if we can do that more, I think that opens up dialogues for greater understanding and appreciation. And I think it will also allow, especially since we're talking in the framework of women's experiences, mm -hmm. that we would all know that we go through similar experiences, but we mm -hmm. wouldn't know if we were separated or if we weren't open-minded to how other people arrived at their stories. Right? We are more connected than we know. And you're bringing up a good point because when I mentioned writing and you're a writer, Right. And the act of not just writing something left brain about here's a fact, here's the statistic, to actually share something from my background or experience was a big leap. I was not raised to reveal things. And it's amazing to see like when I find something ironic or funny or just something we're doing and realize other people are experiencing it too and say, oh, you're not the only one. Or I thought I was the only one. Oh, it's like you're in my head. It just creates a bond and people relax and they're like, okay, this is not going to be hard. This is going to be an easy thing to do. And they trust happens. Empathy happens. And the point you make about women is important because sometimes we don't appreciate our own stories right. or we're used to nurturing other people's stories and existence. So occasionally when we, when we stand up, it's beautiful and to do more of it and help others appreciate what they're from. Right. And, and I think when we become enchanted with our stories, there's mm -hmm. sometimes we attach some shame or something mm -hmm. to the story and therefore we hold it in our hearts and hide from it. But the story is part of who we are. And so when we become enchanted with it, then the expression and the healing occurs, not only for ourselves, but others who need to listen to that same story in order to create a pathway to their healing. So. Yes. Stories are a wellness tool. And over the last few months, like you shared your book, I shared my book with you and your book has, it's on the shelf back there, your birth, 
And he was just right behind me. (laughs) (laughs) Your bird keeps showing up in many different ways, the fable and the symbol. And you taught me what that meant. And I thought, oh, that's beautiful. And I pay attention to anything I see with the, how do you say it? Sanofi? Sanofi, yeah. Sanofi, okay. And I just thought, well, there is a lesson, something I hadn't known before. And every day, it can, if we pay attention, there's lessons. I was on LinkedIn. I had, you know, the way they, they have, you have the opportunity to say congratulations for your milestone, your birthday, or a new job. Right. And I had done that. I made it a practice a few years ago. because I'm like, well, you're going to be on LinkedIn. Might as well. It takes two seconds to say congratulations and, and do something nice. This woman today said, thank you, because I congratulate. I said, that's a major big deal. You got a law degree. You change later in life. And she, she shared in two sentences that she grew up as a migrant, a child of migrant farmers and worked in the fields 15 to 22 and now is championing the rights of migrants. But she became a lawyer and not the most stable, economic, easy background. And I thought, what a gift of a story. Of, and I'm hoping she tells others, basically, and gives talks. But in that simple interaction, I may never see her. I may never be further than that exchange. But I'm richer for it. And it made me appreciate a little bit of our experiences too. You know, how fortunate you we know, are. That is what we are supposed to do to share our humanity, right? And mm-hmm. be able to really connect mm-hmm. heart to heart. This was heart connection, right? Mm-hmm. There, right? And mm-hmm. I think you would always remember that. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it's empowering for her to experience that somebody she doesn't know could do that for her. Mm-hmm. I think it's beautiful. Now, as we were talking about books, <laughs> ah. <laughs> you have yours right behind you. Yeah. Cover. And I had the privilege of reading your book. Uh, you want to tell our listeners what the book is about? Yes. Yeah. Thank, well, it's probably one of the world's longest titles. So the Learned It in Queens Communication Playbook, Winning Against Digital Distraction. Well, the book is about communication. It's guiding us in a humorous way as a picture book with some thinking prompts that started its life as a speech. I was asked to go to a conference and give a talk to 500 executives. And I thought when I got invited, I would be down the hallway in a nice little workshop room with maybe 50, 60 people in an intimate environment. And what happened is I found that I was going to be on the big stage facing down 500 executives with a big screen behind me. And that's like going from your school play to Broadway in the world of speaking. So my question to myself was, okay, you asked for this, but what the heck are you going to say to these people and have credibility? They're going to hear my New York accent. So I was very worried and self-deprecating. And the best advice I start to give myself is, well, you better keep it authentic and show up as yourself. So I started to use my background growing up in Queens as a visual and audio metaphor for how we come from our backgrounds and learn how to communicate with people and made some fun of a lot of different things. The premise is that was behind it was a lot of aggravation I had with myself and others that we have turned ourselves into mutants, into a head down species that we're always looking down at our phone or when we're not looking at our phone, we're, we're sometimes don't have the most patience when we're reading our emails or responses. We're writing the answers. We're making a lot of assumptions and it gets us into trouble. But who wants to be lectured to on a stage? So I had to figure out how to 
have a fun conversation with executives, make them pay attention. And then a year or so later, I realized the book still had a lot of good things to say. Surprising, we haven't fixed all our communications. We're still irritable (laughs) and we're still staring at these things. So I started to write and I was like, well, COVID-19, where are you going? If this is not an opportunity to put my energies into something productive, this is the time to do it. And so I found somebody very good to be my editor at the end and a lot of collaboration at the end too. That was the other gift of this year. When you ask for things in very creative ways, the most amazing things can happen. So the collaboration of the book cover, that is my body on the cover, that we used an old photo I had taken and created all the head noise that comes with digital. And then it was just a lot of great learning along the way to getting it from the idea, there's a New York accent coming out, into the land of done. And, And it freed me up to really use Queens and my background in other speeches and stories in a good way to show up and present. And I think that's my lesson to everybody is sometimes it's not about life being perfect back then, but curating and bringing things forward that can help us personally develop as well as connect with others. So I think have fun in the meantime and always be authentic. I guess that's a couple of things. Lots of other messages, but it's a fun book. That is keeping it real, right? A lot mm-hmm. of time with ourselves first, as you say. Now, mm. I picked some things from the book, right? Themes. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> it's all true. That's the crazy part. When people read it. It's my internal dialogue. It's so transparent. I'm like, yes, I did say those things. Well, <laughs> you think know, those oh, things. Think, right? <laughs> oh, my goodness. I felt I got a an introduction to Queens, right? I would yes. survive if I walked into Queens right now. <laughs> I know all the, where all the goodies are and what to do and what not to do. So I will survive really and have fun as well because that came through for me. The first thing that stuck out to me was don't be a head down person, mm-hmm. either literally or metaphorically. Yes. Can you expand that a little bit for us? The whole point of the Listen, I'm not anti-technology. I love my cell phone. It's been a great door opener to be able to get a test of somebody's message saying, hi, thinking of you. Fantastic. But we tend to live on them and we need those human connections because when our messages go wrong is when we get into trouble because we don't have the visual cues. Like right now, I have the ability to look at you, see your expression, your body language, and you're listening and that you're giving me your full attention. But a lot of times when we're reading our text messages or even emails, we're projecting our own head noise onto what we think that person's saying. If we're having a bad day, we might be thinking that person's being critical in that voice. We hear that voice or we're, that they didn't fully read my other messages or they whatever it is. So our, our inner voice talks too loud on these things. And we need the context of physical nuances is, is the big message. And there's a lot of writing. There's a wonderful woman from MIT that I connected with that's doing the, the lost art of conversations in the digital world. And I wrote to her, <laughs> I wrote this picture book. And I say a lot of the same things. You did it very classic research. I was just observing people all this time. But it's approaching things about all the ways we are sometimes a little over-dependent to fix our problems, like owning up to a negative conversation 
owning up to a positive conversation mm-hmm. that needs more context and deserves more attention. So that's a huge message to look up and don't deny yourself some living, whether it's phone or video now or in-person interactions. You'll learn a lot from that. Okay. Build trust. Yeah. yeah, that's really important. Now, the second theme I picked up is a lack of response. Mm. The form of communication. <laughs> now, we, yes. I know in my experience, I remember I had a client once and she was so eager to say something that was on her mind to someone. And I was telling her, you don't have to say anything. Don't mm. say, just step back a little. And she went ahead and did it anyway. And she lost her voice after that. Mm-hmm. And so she called me and talked to me about it. And I said, well, I told you, you don't have to say anything. So could you share your thoughts on how you wrote that, a lack of response? Well, it can trigger because we take it. Any of all of you, that group dynamics, silence is a tool that can really be seen as a negative. A lot of times when it's the silence, a non-response, people project onto that and get angry. So in the book, I do a funny scene about the dialogue that I've had in my head when I don't get an email response. And I joke about saying it's frustrating because if you're in sales or you're in business, you're we're leaving so many messages because people are just overwhelmed. And you're like, it's hard to keep cool when you've like left your 33rd message or it feels like your 33rd message. Right. And you're thinking, where do I find them? Do I find them on LinkedIn? Will they read their email first? Will they read, listen to a phone call? So we get frustrated. The trick is not to let that creep into our interaction. If we're sending an email, let it sit, tone check, put it in draft, or wait to pick up the phone. And then sometimes just pick up the phone and say, look, I just need clarification. I really appreciate it. And practice maybe in your mind, your voicemail before you get on and go. Right. Like, you're, don't be snarky. That's my just be be patient. And it's hard. I'm not saying I do it better. I have to, I have the book on my desk every day going page three, 20. (laughs) So we write the book we need for ourselves a lot of times, or like we teach subjects we want to learn as well. So that's why it's authentic because it's not for a lack of trying and doing. Well, sometimes now, especially when information is so readily available, we feel like if we send a message, an email, it should get a response immediately, right? Um, but the person may be doing so many other things and probably haven't read their email that day. Oh. I know. Haven't you done that for yourself? You think, I'm going to just take a break, take a break. And then <laughs> 50 emails go, oh my God, <laughs> I do need to respond to these. But it's not personal. And that's the thing. And right. I've been thrown into spam quite a bit because I have a hyphenated name. I have a URL. You get thrown into that little um, portal and you have to dig yourself out and make sure people have it. So I think having a sense of humor also helps and not giving up and just thinking it's probably not me, probably not them. They're just busy. And we have too much flying at us. Right. And you're right. In, we want instant everything when it's because of us. Right. Text messages and stuff. And there are times I send a message to people and they respond and say, I can't do it right now because I'm in the bathroom. And I'm thinking, why did you, <laughs> why did you pick up? Frustrated when there's that instant response. Take a moment, finish it's, whatever. You know, it's finish Pavlovian. I know, but I mean, I've heard, I've coached individual clients and I hear them saying like, 
I finally did what we promised each other we're going to take. We're going to take a health break. We're going to take a break at lunch and walk around. And a lot of times people are on 24-7. It's like this sensitivity, like just because you're up at three o'clock in the morning thinking about that doesn't mean everyone else is. And then if you're training your organization to get hyper, and I've seen that, that kind of reaction happened. That person did not learn that reaction with you. And as another good friend of mine said, if it's hysterical, it's historical. So if they have that much of a trigger response, there's a lot of stuff they need to figure out why that was such an urgent thing to come back to you instantly. Is it a fear or is it anger? Like what were they, what were they thinking was going to happen if they didn't talk to you right away? Why, why would they answer then? Then I've asked some people say, I'm in church. I can, if you're in church, then put the phone away. <laughs> or put whatever it is that you're <laughs> But it is crazy, but there's lots of story. And then just to own it up and giving people permission to what works too, I think not not in social situation, but in the work of what's fair and equitable for the staff and manage expectations. But people are human. We break or we make, we make guidelines and we break them because situations change and not everybody's listening to our guidelines. There's always another boss or client saying, I I need you now. So you all run. So. So one last theme, and then we'll move on to some juicy stuff. Remember that the most important message someone is sending you may not necessarily be in their words, right? Say that again. Remember that the most important message someone is sending you may Mm -hmm. not be in their words. Right. It's in maybe in their tone and their, we, and that's one of the things, like when I hear your tone and I can see your face, and I can see your expression, I can interpret it differently. And then I can say, tell me more or share, just like I did now. It's like, okay, I think we know where we're going. When we get it in a written form, sometimes we don't interpret it. So it's, I think it's the spoken word really has a rich opportunity. And then for somebody to elaborate and invest the time to build on a comment and say what informs it. Um, and being patient. I keep, I know I'm going to, if you're going to listen to this thing, is that I said this word a few times, but patience matters. And we all rush too much. Patience is a virtue. It is. <laughs> <laughs> and we have to remind ourselves to be patient. But I think the word and the tone and the energy too is, is a gift. And you and the and the spoken word and the written word does come through. I mean, I'm not saying it's impossible. I think it's what we we what are trying to convey is can be quite special. When I read your book, I the tone came through, the honesty and what you were trying to achieve by sharing these stories. Thank you. So talking about stories, is there a story you want to share with us? It doesn't have to be personal. Anything you want to share. (laughs) I think the whole, and I I want to talk more about the women's spiritual practice, but the story, oh, I know there's one. And it was the story that changed my appreciation of what I'm doing right now. And I always use stories in my work in bios. I always love to read biographies like, and also, like I said, fables at the beginning. When I was interviewing, I'd always tell somebody to give me a case study or give me an example. And I always wasn't just doing logical answers. I wanted them to bring me to life and what it was like to work in their job or in their successful examples. Or, and then I would ask about mistakes and what they learned from it. But it wasn't until about eight years ago, nine years ago, I went to Baruch college as a mentor. I went to a mentoring event and it was like one of a speed dating environment where you go, but it was speed interviewing. 
you meet a student, you interview them for a few minutes, they talk about what they want to do next, and you go off and talk to somebody else. At the end of the morning, this young man came up to me and said, I don't think I'm going to get a job. I don't have a good story to tell. And he started to talk to me and shared how he was new to this country, first to go to college, worked all the time, supported his parents, didn't have time to do all the traditional college experiences. And through his mind's eye, when he went to interviews, he says, I don't look like anybody to begin with that I see in those interviews. And I don't act like anybody. And I don't have the same experience. So I coached him. He listened and he disappeared. Went off to go to class after he finished with me. He was in a dust. So like he like if they were fog and clouds, it would have been a perfect scene because that's what it felt like. He literally disappeared. But I start to think about that conversation and what happens to us when we don't fully appreciate our story. And then I turn the question to myself: Do I appreciate my story? Which I didn't. So I start to ask people what I had the most value in my work afterwards, and it became the fact I took the time to listen to people's stories spend time with them. And it was a teaching tool that made their work richer and more bearable sometimes. And it helped solve problems. And it was something I didn't fully appreciate all the time. I thought I'm going to be more of our left brain culture and thinking bullets and PowerPoints. And here were people saying what you were doing and how you're doing was working. So that opened up a whole experience of, I'm going to study applied storytelling. I'm going to start to use it in my counseling. I'm going to start to really try my hand at going out and doing talks. So it opened up a whole portal, but it was at a one conversation. And any time I give a talk, I'm always thinking of that young guy. Like I always wonder what happened to And everybody who's ever connected with me, who is always LinkedIn, he's like this mysterious figure that just appeared at the right time, at the right place. And it's this, and it's an amazing moment of when we pay attention, like amazing things happen. I want to share a quick story that I was oh, thinking great. of. It just came up to me this morning. Ah. It was about my grandfather, maternal grandfather, who I lived with as when I was very young. I was separated from my mother. I think my father had just passed away very young. Ah, yeah. uh, I was about two-ish, and I came to live with my grandparents at that time. And I remember starting school and... Every morning when I was going to school, my grandfather would give me a shilling. At that time, we ah. used to have British currency, Ghana at the time. And he would always give me a shilling. I mean, at that time, it was a lot of money. I didn't yeah. even need to spend it to buy anything, but he gave it to me every morning. And so as he's saying goodbye to school, then he'll give me a shilling. He had a little pouch full of coins, and he would take a shilling and give to me. And one morning, as he gave me the shilling, usually when he gave me the money, I just kind of excited, run out of the door. But this particular morning, I was lingering. I didn't want to leave. And so he asked me, what's the matter? And I told him I needed more money. And he was like, well, <laughs> for what? And he, said, he asked me, for what? You know, surprised, really, and because I've never asked for anything at that time. And I told him that two boys in my class have told me that if I don't bring them each a shilling, they're really going to hurt me. And so he said, okay, just you go on to school and I'll take care of this. And by the time I went to school, I don't know how he got ahead of me, but the message <laughs> went to my teachers 
and they asked me to pick out the boys who were bullying me. And so in that moment, I learned about bullying and why we have to communicate with our parents and or whoever our guardians are in order for them to give us the protection we need in the moment, right? You can imagine mm-hmm. if I hadn't done that and waited mm-hmm. weeks on end or months on end, it would have changed my life in a different way. And it does. It resonates with me because I went through that situation in grade school for many years. And the fact you had an advocate that was listening and was in a place to pay attention and ask you and didn't just spend the time yelling at you saying, why do you need more money? Right. <laughs> like literally just ask the question you needed to be fed. But that meant you two had a bond of trust as well. Right. And he respected you and valued what you, what you were sharing. So I'm glad that was the case. And you, it was amazing. He was able to, like you said, get ahead of the situation literally and figuratively. So yeah. that is good. It was and, fast. And it was you, sweet. Yeah. And you've played that forward in your life. So you've done the same. What your grandfather yeah. gave you a shilling. You've given a more than a shilling's worth of guidance and support to people. I, I don't get bullied you. and I there's always a way to get around that. If we have mm-hmm. strong support and channels, if we we have channels to find the people who we know will stand with us no matter what. And I think if it's if taught at a very early age, that would mm-hmm. help yeah. really put aside some of these experiences that the young people are having right now. Yeah. I'm on the digital, but also made me think of when you're you're very supportive of women that that has happened quietly and in many different phases in in the workplace you know women being intimidated women not speaking up and advocating because there was always a huge price for doing so so right. i think we are like to think we're at a crossroads that that is something we don't accept anymore and we support others to speak up and don't question them support them and take them at their their word uh, that we help them. It is one of the things that worry me a lot as to mm-hmm. how much support women are giving to other women. Mm-hmm. I was watching a show yesterday on TV and I don't want to give them, I don't want to advertise for anybody per se, <laughs> but on the show, they were talking about relationships and the women, it was like, the interviewer was a man and the rest of the panel were women. And the women were complaining about how the other women and that the men were too good for the women. And I was scratching like I couldn't really, honestly, it was very difficult for me to process. Especially, I didn't come away with that same conclusion, right? If it was right, I would have, but I didn't. So anyway, just I saying think, that yeah. we need to stand out and support each other more than we do in, in certain spaces so that we'll all feel empowered moving forward. Now, I know time is... Taken away there. Right. We'll get a couple more questions in and dealing with humor. Now, I know you use humor a lot in your work. Mm-hmm. How would you suggest women can tap into it as a healing tool? I use it when I'm giving a workshop or or a presentation to bring the irony or the frustration of something to the forefront so people can relax. I think humor has a double edge. It can be a sword that could cut or it could be something that could heal and help people relax and listen to themselves. So I think gentle joking and, and also it's the deliverer who's making the joke and what is their intent. We need to watch. 
But healing does allow us just to appreciate the craziness of our lives and the irony of uh, this afternoon. Like I'm on a nice podcast with you. I'm in my suit, my makeup. Well, later on, I got to go switch the load of laundry. <laughs> you know, it's like, so there's humor saying nobody has a big team. It's We're not in the those masterpiece theater, you know, shows where everyone has a crew waiting for us. It's keeping it real and saying, you and me, we have something together. And in having a healing conversation could just be appreciating what it takes for someone to find a new job, to make a decision to lift their head, to make a decision and making a big life change. And sometimes having folks just be kind to each other. So the humor, whether it's in my book or in my writing, is just appreciating the small moments that make us tick. Our successes don't come from major big things. It's it's a myriad of little things that get us here. And, and one of them, when we were talking about one of the learnings of COVID-19 is great appreciation of the women I have in my life and the networks that I have, different tribes per se, that I can go to and talk to them and know they can support me and they have my interests and I have their interests in heart. So I think it's healing and also being very gentle with your story about who's around you. Are they giving you energy or are they detracting from you? Now, I'm not saying giving honest feedback where you say, well, you need to maybe change out how you're presenting something or you might want to add something. Not honest critique without an agenda, but be very thoughtful of who you have in your circle and who you give as your gift of sharing, because that's as precious as anything. So I think those are always my guidance to folks. to Just listen you know, do a lot of paying attention to how you're experiencing other individuals around you. Thank you for that. Now, Mm -hmm. I want to ask, how do we teach young girls about storytelling, about storytelling, tapping into that form? I think sharing and being in the same room or in the same venue, whether it's showing up young girls, you could mean high school or colleges, opportunities to mentor and, and present yourself and all of us to go to a college and meet with young people and young girls in a session. I've done that with communications and share a story. Just don't give the topic in logical form. Share something we learned, share something we were feeling when we were trying to learn it and panicking when we had our first talk to do or when we had our first job interview and show your our hands what we experienced. And slowly but surely, people will share. There was one young lady on a call I was on, and she it, it hit her when I talked about saying I was so shy to the point of mute when I was growing up, that she started to talk about that she's been pushing herself to come out of her shyness and to talk more in class. And it's hard on these virtual students sometimes to, to do that and negotiate. So I think the more we share, the more people will learn from stories. And sitting around... It's fun to be with friends or old age, but I always believe, like you said earlier, mix it up, you know, find out what other people are doing. So if you all look the same around your table, you got to change up your yeah, game. You're missing a whole lot. <laughs> you need to find out what the rest of the world is thinking. How they're, yeah, know, a like a lot happening in this world that we can all benefit from. It's amazing, different cuisines, different dances, songs fables, mythology. It's a whole host of things that can really help us expand our experiences on this planet. So, yeah. Yeah. Being intentional about it too. I know that's a phrase that's being used more and more, but it's true. Like if you, if we assume nobody's going to come and join us in a conversation, nobody will. 
But if we say, I'm going to reach out to someone who's 20 years older than me and 40 years younger than me, fun things happen. And you can choose swap meets. I mean, I'm good fortune. I'm with an Irish person from Dublin, so he never stops talking. But um, there's lots of stories. So we compete for airtime. And that's why I started to do more talks outside of my home so I could talk. But the nieces and the nephews, they're all great storytellers because they grew up with that, too. And I'm sure your family has grown up with that gift of storytelling. Peers and stuff tell stories. We we actually would sit around a fire after supper and tell stories. Mm -hmm. And it's a great way to look back on our experiences. And if we just report it like fact, fact, a little emotion, back to fact, not the same thing. But if we tell it as a story, we'll be learning as well as everybody else will be learning and having some things just appreciate and pass on. All good. All good. All good. I love that. So we can end this conversation. And I know one day, one day, it will be much longer than this. I know. It's a gift. Thank you. Who is a woman of power and grace. Yes. The friends, I thought hard. I did a reaction when I saw that question. I'm like, I should research like the usual suspects. You know, Maya Angelou was one. But I thought, you know what? I'm not going there. The women in my life that I've had, people that were my teachers that are still my friends. I saw my ex-boss in person last week that I hadn't seen in 20 years who's gone on her own spiritual journey. Those are the women. So I think it's, for me, it's paying attention to the heroes in my life that made a difference, who have done extraordinary things. You've met some of my friends and interviewed one friend, Maria Connie, you call her Maria Connie DePino. Those are the gifts. Those are the heroes of grace and going beyond themselves to help and support other people. So those women are everywhere and we're lucky to have them in our lives. Especially, I think that sometimes we're looking outside of ourselves for heroes and sheroes and, you know, but Right in front of us are the people who exhibit the power Mm -hmm. that also helps us to grow, right? So it's really beautiful that you end on that note. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And you're in that list as well now, too. So you know, you're in that list. Thank you.